0: Are listening to the wool academy podcast this is episode number 41 hello and welcome my name is elizabeth van delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell i am excited to be joined by graham ormondroyd today Graham is the Head of Materials Research at the Biocomposite Center at Bangor University in the UK. Graham has a PhD in wood science. Yes, I said wood and not wool. And Graham has published over 70 publications in the field of biomaterials science. Today we will discover why a wood scientist is a perfect guest on the Wool Academy podcast. Welcome Graham. I look forward to talking to you today. How are you?
1: Hi, hello there. Yes, I'm. I'm very well, and it's great to be here.
0: Great, thank you so much for your time, and let's start by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do.
1: Okay, yes. Yeah, so, as, as you said, I'm. I'm a, primarily a, a wood scientist and and not a wool scientist. Um, I started out life as a as a forester, so I did a degree in forestry, uh, but a a year year in industry working in New Zealand um, definitely cemented my love of wood products rather than of trees Um, and this kind of got me interested in bio-based materials generally uh, and also construction generally as well so um, that's kind of where I am now so I'm I'm now head of materials research at the Biocomposite Centre and I I run a team who do a a lot of research into a lot of different bio-based materials right from solid timber right through to wool and and polymers as well.
0: And yeah while you're talking about uh, your work and your colleagues, tell us also a little bit more about the Composite Center.
1: Okay, so the Biocomposite Center, again, a little bit like me, um, well, it started 28 years ago, I, I started a little, a little before then, um, but but like me, we were based around the wood sector and based around specifically wood panels. Um, but as time went on, we started to extend and we, we brought in um, chemists and physicists, biologists, And we got more based within the bio-based economy generally, so not just looking at at cellulosic materials, but also uh, protonation materials, Um, whether this be the manufacture of chemicals or the manufacture of materials for for, for a variety of of applications.
0: When I hear the word biocomposites, I have the feeling it's quite a buzzword at the moment. Can you tell us why that is the case?
1: So primarily that's because of climate change and the fact we now understand what the what the human race is doing to our planet. And really, through the through our recent past and really from the Industrial Revolution, we, we've taken massive advantage of our planet by using far too much fossil fuels, by making things from um, from oil, so polymers and plastics. And really, um the population's getting wise to this and the fact that we have to do something about it. So the use of, of natural materials and biocomposites especially um, to substitute these polymers has been really the
0: way forward. And maybe before we dig deeper into our conversation about wool, etc., can you briefly define like what is a biomaterial and what is a biocomposite? <laughs> is there a difference? Um...
1: <laughs> um, yes. Um, it's... I'll be honest, the EU doesn't like to define what is a biomaterial and what is a natural material, but I'll I'll give it a go. Um, Essentially, a a biomaterial is anything that's produced from a a short, short carbon cycle. So things like trees, plants, straw, um, sheep's wool Um, in in the planet's terms, they're produced from a a very short carbon cycle. And that's what we class as, as a biomaterial. Uh, for a biocomposite, it's simply a biomaterial that's made from more than one one part. So, if you have a a, a flax fiber in a, um, a resin that's been made from sugar, then that's a, a biocomposite.
0: Okay, so you would also take elements of biomaterial and make composite out of that?
1: Totally, yeah. definitely, yes. Okay. So, um, we, we, we do a lot of work in, in taking fibers from plants and then using those in, um, in biopolymers which, which my chemist colleagues are, are very clever at making polymers from sugars from plants uh, and then we can combine those into making some fairly high-end type uh, uh, composites and applications so to go into the automotive industry for example or the construction industry.
0: I think one example that comes to my mind is that you can now find these like forks and knives made out of um, corn starch. Mm-hmm. So you could actually, people tell me I can actually eat them. I don't know if I want to eat them, but um, is that an uh, example as well?
1: That's totally an example. I mean, the the corn starch forks and knives. There, there's some very clever chemistry done to the starch, which makes it stick together well enough for you to use them. But then you can still put them in your composting and 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 get rid of them at the end of life just by just by composting, rather than having to burn them or put them in landfill.
0: Okay, and they replace plastic forks, etc. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you. Now I feel much better equipped for talking <laughs> with you. And now let's start into the discussion more about wool. So what kind of yeah, things are you do researching in the area of wool in your center?
1: So the reason we got into wool originally was that, as, as I said, we, we, we were looking at biomaterials in the construction industry. And one of our uh, partner companies, they 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 made uh, house insulation from from hemp and flax, but they also started making insulation from sheep's wool, which was very fortuitous here in here in Wales where we where we're based because we, we make a lot of sheep, um, and we that's how we originally got into wool, and we found that that the wool had had amazing properties. Uh, not just for housing insulation, but also for packaging. And we we partnered with another company who who make wool-based packaging, and um, and started actually looking at what what the what the effects of using wool rather than, in the case of housing, rather than than uh, mineral wool or glass wool, and in the case of packaging, rather than um, polystyrene.
0: And what did you find? Like how does wool perform in comparison to the others?
1: um in in the construction industry it performs very very well um you you may need a little bit more sheep's wool than than you do uh rock wool or mineral wool but the fact is it has other properties that that, that the synthetics just don't have so it can buffer moisture so it can can make your your houses feel less damp or or the right relative humidity in a room and And I guess what we're going to talk about today is it can also buffer volatile organic compounds or VOCs in the room and just just help you with your uh, healthy lifestyle.
0: And one thing I've always heard when it comes to house insulation is that wool is because wool is more expensive than the other um, insulators, that it doesn't really have a chance. How do you see uh, wool as one like a competitor to for house insulation? It's
1: a little bit of a chicken and chicken and the egg situation. In that, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, currently, wool insulation is expensive compared to um, synthetics. So, in fact, here in the UK, you can, if you don't have any insulation in your house, you can get synthetic insulation for free, but you can't get wool insulation. But people are people. The population are getting turned on to the fact of green and bio based products, whether that be Uh, talking about insulation. So moving away from um, products such as mineral wool, which take a lot of energy to make to products such as sheep's wool, which take very little energy in comparison. And so the mindset of people is changing and spending that bit extra money on sheep's wool, which will, as I say, do these extra things as well as insulate our house uh, thermally. um, People are becoming a lot more um, attuned to paying that money. And of course, as soon as you start getting a demand, then production can go up and production costs fall so things become cheaper.
0: Okay, thank you for your insight on that. And what about the moth? Like I heard also someone had wool insulation in their house and then it was eaten up by moths. Is, are there solutions for that nowadays as well?
1: There are solutions and wool insulation generally should be treated against moths. Um, and a little bit of the research we're doing here is looking at at uh, greener ways, so uh, ways we can use um, green chemicals to to treat against moths and es- essentially repel moths. Rather than killing moths, just repel them away from the, the wool. Um, but you do need to treat your insulation.
0: Okay, but that's good to know that you're working on making wool even more desirable for house insulation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, you already mentioned indoor quality um Tell us why is indoor quality actually a topic we should think about?
1: Okay, so if you imagine a newly built building, um, they've got to, when you build a building, you've got to to, um, comply with certain codes. And these codes are based around uh, the amount of energy it takes to heat the building and to run that building. And really, the, the building codes in this area want to get the amount of, of energy, so the amount of carbon used to run that building as low as possible. And that means that there's there's a lot, lot of insulation in the building. Um, and But also that the, the amount of the air that moves around the building and in and out of the building, so the amount of cold air coming in is reduced to a very low amount. Now, because you're reducing the amount of air in a building or in a room, then these VOCs that we've been talking about start to build up. And VOCs are given off by everything, so you and me, we, we give off VOCs. Uh, that lovely scented candle in your in your lounge, that's that's all about VOCs. That's how those things work. The plug-in air freshener, give off VOCs. Now, these are fine at, at low levels, at very low levels, but once they start building up in a room, then that's when you start feeling a little bit ill. And you get you start to to get something called sick building syndrome. So That little headache at the end of the day when you've been sat in your office all day or that little, you know, your stomach not feeling great, but you don't know why you're feeling bad. You just know that you do at the end of the day in your office. That's sick building syndrome. And this is really down to the buildup of VOCs, of formaldehyde and even CO2 in a room. Um, And that in a workplace slows down productivity, but in a household, it just just isn't great for, for your overall health and well-being.
0: And explain what does VOC exactly stand for then?
1: So VOC is Volatile Organic Compounds. So there's, there's different types of compounds which in a, a, in a temperature uh, such as sort of room temperature, they, they go from being a liquid or a solid into being a gas. And, and that's, that's essentially what a Volatile Organic Compound is.
0: And if I understand correctly, these VOCs have always been there. It's just that now that we have less circulation in our houses, they pile up. Or do, exactly. or do we also have more products in our houses that create VOCs?
1: As I said, VOCs come from everything. So if, if, you, if you cook a piece of asparagus, you'll get VOCs off it. If you have a bowl of tomatoes you'll get VOCs and especially formaldehyde of tomatoes. We breathe out formaldehyde um, just through metabolism. So they've always been there. Perhaps it's a change in the types of VOCs uh, in the house because we do like those scented candles and we do like those air fresheners. But generally they've always been there, but it's the fact that they're just not circulating the air in the building as much.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I know that my mother-in-law always says because she has these old windows that made out of wood that she actually has lots of air circulation which but she, if she would have like replaced the windows she wouldn't have that effect anymore
1: and she 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 definitely wouldn't get sick building syndrome my house is exactly the same
0: yeah okay now okay now we understand what VOCs are but how can actually wool help improve the indoor quality then
1: so we we did a little bit of work about 5 or 6 years ago where there was a, a, So we were working on insulation and we were working on the fact that it's it's as good as as glass wool for thermal insulation. And when we were, were looking around, we started seeing anecdotal evidence that said that if you buy a new car and you put a wool blanket in the back, the new car smell, which everybody likes when they first get in a car at the showroom, but after driving 200 miles in the car, they start to feel a little bit ill because of it. That, that wool blanket will take away that new car smell very quickly. And it, it, it will mean that you don't get car sick as much um, when you're driving long distances in a closed car. So we looked at this and we we, we kind of linked that to a, a piece of work that was done a long time ago, back in the 40s and 50s, when sheep used to be dipped in a formaldehyde solution. Uh, and this this was a, a, a way of treating sheep once a year. But what what researchers found was that the formaldehyde solution actually bound to the wool. So when you sheared a sheep, you'd have wool with formaldehyde attached to it. So we thought this was really interesting. And we, and we, we did a little bit of work to, to assess how much formaldehyde actually bonds to a, a piece of wool. And then that, that has then led on to, to the idea of, well, if we can bond formaldehyde, can we bond other VOCs in a room? And that essentially led on to a, a European project looking at exactly this.
0: So wool actually binds the VOC in the fiber and then they stay there or what exactly happens?
1: So there's, there's two, pro, two processes that happen. Um, one, one is a, a, a chemical sorption, so where the, the formaldehyde and the VOCs bind to the wool uh, and then they will stay there forever. But there's also a, a, a physical sorption where there's more of these chemicals go into the wool and just sit there they don't bind but they'll sit there until the atmosphere around the wool becomes less saturated and it's a bit like when you're doing um osmosis or you're doing an experiment where where you have salt in in one side and um no salt in another it will eventually balance out and this will happen with the wool so you you'll take in the vocs when the when the air is saturated with them. But when the air becomes becomes unsaturated and clean, uh, for example at night when no one's in the office, then it'll release those out and they'll be given off to the atmosphere on a very low low rate.
0: So you actually can just like clean your like wool absorbs the VLCs and then when you open your window then wool would slowly release them and that's then healthier than just having all the VLCs.
1: Exactly. That's that, okay. that's an absolutely perfect analogy.
0: Okay. And But it wouldn't help like cleaning the carpet or vacuuming the carpet, uh, like a wool carpet? Or
1: No, you, you wouldn't just be able to take them up in a vacuum. No. Okay.
0: <laughs> so it's the fresh air again. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't know this uh, research or this thing about putting a new wool blanket in your new car. I think that's quite interesting. And I my husband has motion sickness. I will try that out um <laughs> if it helps in any way. (laughs) And yeah, so thanks for talking about the VSCs. I think that's a really interesting area. But also, I mean, now you've looked a lot at wool and did a lot of different research about wool. What were the most interesting properties for you um, in your research? Because of course there are so many properties of wool, but which one is your favorite one?
1: My most favorite property of wool. What's really interesting with wool is that if you look at wool in a scanning electron microscope, it has um, um, layers in the surface of the wool and scales in the surface of the wool. Now, those scales will open and close depending on temperature and relative humidity. And how that affects the way that sheep's wool works as an insulator and how that affects how it takes up VOCs that's, that's a really interesting sort of uh, scientific questions we're trying to answer at the moment.
0: So it always changes depending on the humidity and temperature, yeah. etc. Okay, that makes it quite um, complicated, I guess. But, but still we, interesting. We, we enjoy complicated. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's good then. And also I, I wanted to ask you, because obviously there are, I don't know how many sheep breeds, a number between 500 and 1,000, I've heard so far. And obviously each sheep breed produces a different type of wool. Are there specific wool qualities or like from specific sheep breeds that are especially good for these areas that you're looking into?
1: Quite nicely, and I think quite nicely for the wool industry, it's the sort of coarser wool breeds, so Herdwick, Swirldale, that we we have been looking at and that have been very good at absorbing VOCs. So through our European project, the sea project, we we assessed, I think it was seven or eight different types of wool, right through from, from herdwick through to merino wool. And what we found just just naturally, without any, any modification, that it was the, the coarser breeds, so the herdwick, which uh, absorbed the most formaldehyde and VOCs.
0: Okay, so... Well, we can wear the fine, soft mer- merino wools on our skin. It's a good use of the coarser wools for protecting us in our houses. Is that kind of the summary?
1: That, that summary, and indeed, uh, one thing that we found is that, that the 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 um, the other output from scouring the wool, so, so the, the lanolins and the the um, the other chemicals that you take take off the wool. Uh, they have really interesting properties as well for for the um, uh, for indoor air quality. So that's something else that we want to look in as well. So it's it's not just the, the physical fibers, but also some of the, the byproducts or co-products from the scouring industry.
0: Oh, that sounds really interesting. And you also mentioned a few times now that uh, the EU and that you are working on Projects, uh, I guess, funded by the EU. Why are these topics of concern or interest uh, of the EU to fund?
1: The, the EU funded the topic of indoor air quality and the improvement of uh, the indoor environment. And again, this comes back to what I was saying about the the legislation changing and air tightness in buildings. So, through a unexpected consequence a problem has, has, has been created by trying to solve another problem. So we've solved the problem of, of the carbon footprint of the building by insulating it and by making it airtight. But now we've kind of realized that we may have started a problem about sick building syndrome.
0: Okay, so, uh, so that sounds then like it's a responsibility of the EU to look into these problems now that... The others were solved. Okay, I understand. And yeah, you just said that you're looking also into byproducts like lanolin. And are there any other interesting projects related to wool in the near future for you?
1: So we're carrying on our research. So uh, the, the the project I've talked about is, is coming to an end, um, but we have some more scientific research. So it's, I'm, I'm looking for a, a, a PhD student to carry on some of the research that we've been doing at the moment. Um, but because of because of how the centre works, we're always we're always looking for new projects, and especially around the insulation, the packaging. Uh, I've seen some very very interesting solid board products uh, made from wool. So uh, a a MDF type board which can be used for creating uh, work surfaces, uh, but made purely from wool, um, and they're really interesting. We're also looking into how a whole room. So if if you use natural materials and, and wool extensively in a room, how that equates to a room that perhaps is made with a lot less uh, natural materials, so um, a lot of plastics, and how that affects the human being and the people that use a room. So, yeah, we've got a, still got a lot of research to do.
0: Excellent. That's good news for you and the wool industry as well. And what do you think, how can the wool industry make use of the kind of research that you're doing, how can they get involved? How should they take up your findings?
1: So the best way to take up our findings is to, to use those findings and come and talk to us about using those findings for, for promotion of, I don't want to say marketing, because this is more than marketing marketing. This is real life scientific results, but it's better understanding of, of what your product can do as a whole. And then using that as a promotional tool or, or to help promote these qualities of, of fibre. So that's how they can take up the work that's done already. Um, how can they get involved? Quite easily come and talk to us. Um, we're, we're always interested. We do a lot of uh, one-to-one commercial work, so we're always interested in that. We're also interested in putting consortia together for, for larger projects and, and working with government uh, funding agencies to get those projects funded.
0: Okay, that sounds really good. And I'll make sure to link uh, to your website so that people can find you easily. And what you said about promotion, I think that's really vital because also within the wool industry, there has been a lot of other research done where we want to back up all the promotion or marketing claims, as you just said, them, and back them up with real science so that we are really solid of what we're saying. So I think that's really important and great that you're contributing to this as well.
1: I think this is how how it all started is that the wool industry made claims but there was nothing to back it up and so five or six years ago this is where where myself and my colleagues sat down and thought we're going to prove this and that's how we started working in wool
0: yeah and i always find that so interesting because like everybody working in wool they kind of know that it works you know they because they have the experience with the material but you are right that sometimes you also have to actually prove it and understand how it works scientifically. Okay, Graham, I thank you so much for your time. I thought it was really interesting because these were aspects I've never really looked into. So I really appreciate it and I wish you lots of success. What is the best way for our listeners to find out more about your work and to connect with you?
1: The best way to connect with us is, is through our website, Um www.bc.banga.ac.uk um, through Twitter, which is at bcbanga and then occasionally have a look at our YouTube channel, so search YouTube for the, um, the BioComposite Centre and, and occasionally we have nice videos up there.
0: Excellent, and I'll make sure to link to those as well in the show notes but yeah, thanks again for all what you've shared with us today and I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Thank you, and bye-bye. I learned so many new things from Graham Ormondroyd about biomaterials, biocomposites, and VOCs. And I hope you did, too. To find out more about Graham and the Composite Center, visit the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 041. Once again, elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 041. Also, I started a little newsletter that I send out twice per month. In the newsletter, I share my most recent blog posts, podcast episodes and other interesting news articles that are related to wool and the fashion industry. I would love it if you join my mailing list and receive the newsletter on a regular basis. You can sign up at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash newsletter. That is all for today. Talk to you again next week and bye for now.